Welcome to Nerds of the Round Table, a podcast on a quest for quality pop culture. I'm Jamie. I'm Dwayne. And I'm Sammy. And on this episode, we're going to be reviewing... Uh, Sammy, what are we reviewing? And why are we reviewing it? All right. So, as many of our listeners know, we've started this uh, series of Rolling the Die movies. Uh, because, obviously, 2020 stinks and there's no good news. So, um... Essentially, we rolled, and our role this week uh, brings us to Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. And yes, Nathan Varney, we blame you. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) we spent a long time trying to find out who recommended this so that we could call them out on the air. That's right. So, (laughs) but so uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, 1994. It is a movie of an era, nineteen ninety four. It's kind of close to a hundred, so let's keep it one hundred. It's time to keep it one hundred. One hundred. One hundred. One hundred. Oh, right, Sammy, your first advocate. I'm still trying to figure out how that rounded, but okay. <laughs> so, um. Let me start my timer. So as comic book fans, you know, we all have our main characters that kind of make up our favorites, right? Batman, Spidey, Wolverine, you know, but there are these fringe characters that often make us happy. Mine is the Blue Beetle. And in my 80s Blue Beetle reread, I've now been going back through 1987's Justice League International by J.M. DeMatteis, Keith Giffen, and Kevin McGuire. And I had forgotten just how much I love this series. Uh, The characters just are so offbeat uh, to be a Justice League book. Um, You know, you've got your adventures, but there's just such great humor. I mean, I laugh out loud at the dialogue coming from Blue Beetle or Guy Gardner or Mr. Miracle. And, And it's really almost what would be snide remarks you'd make under your breath but they put them in the book so batman may be telling them to get in there and you know that kind of thing and you've got blue beetle going that's not going to be a good idea you know i mean it's just this under the breath stuff so it has so much humor to it um you know i love mcguire's art style you know he's just his dynamic facial expressions uh, i've loved these characters since i was 15 years old and i just loved going back to this series so um yeah, Justice League International. That's my keeping it 100. Blue and gold forever. So. <laughs> I've read a little bit of that series, and it is it is a good time. Oh, it's great. So. Now, isn't there a famous um, death? Because I, I remember I had a couple issues of like a death and like a funeral scene in JLI. Uh, I know it ties no, into that Superman. That was just like Europe I was reading. Yeah. It's just like Europe. Yeah, that that the prelude issue that that goes into the Superman death of Superman that you guys did on graphically novel. All right, well I'm up next, and here we go. Let me start my timer, and I hit the wrong button. <laughs> my fingers are fat. Okay, here we go. Um, I'm going with I think a first for me. This is not a comic book. It's not a movie. It's not a TV show. It is an app. Um, Letterboxed. It is kind of like combination of goodreads and facebook it's like a film fans you know social media hoozy 
And it's a fun little app where you can like make a diary of movies you watch. You rate them. You put them in your diary. You recommend them. You give them stars. You give them hearts. You, you can like put how many times you've rewatched them, all this kind of stuff. But the every user can make these lists. And there's like, I think there's like star users that make lists. And there's like all these crazy recommendations, like, you know, best comedies from the 90s, under 90 minutes long. And there's all these different kinds of lists you can find. And it's really fun. And it's got a cool social media component where you can link it with your friends and you see what movies your friends are watching and what they like. And you can go through their histories, what they've watched and what they rank things. And, and it's just a cool little app. And it's, I mean, we're primarily a movie podcast and we all love movies. And it's just, it's a fun little extra component to being a movie fan. And so, letterboxed. And it is spelled weird. There's no E in boxed. It's B-O-X-D at the end. And so, that, that's my keeping it 100. So, the moment he saw lists and rates, he's like, I'm in. <laughs> Dang it, I'm in. <laughs> I didn't think about that. I'm sold. <laughs> I get to rank movies and... And give them and create lists. <laughs> I hadn't connected those dots in my own head. So the developers of the app said, what can we market to Jamie? <laughs> now that you phrase it like that, it does feel like I'm the target audience. It's the target audience of four. <laughs> they, they worked on this and said, okay, we've got a winner. He's going to make it. <laughs> like the $6 million man. He's going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am next up on Keeping It 100, guys. I'm not even going to take the full time. This week, I hate to say, Ace Ventura was the only additional thing I watched or got into that I haven't already talked about. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's go on into our opening thoughts and grades. Sammy, you're up first. It's in one of those weeks, obviously. All right. Um, so <laughs> that was strange. All right. But uh, I guess for, for opening thoughts, you know, we said this movie released in 1994. And to me, that's where Jim Carrey really started kind of attacking the box office. You know, along with Ace Ventura, you also get The Mask and Dumb and Dumber the same year. So three movies in the same year, right? You know, um, obviously, I was introduced to him through In Living Color, and I think I'd forgotten how many of the mannerisms and kind of the cadence of his voice that he brought from that show. Uh, a lot of Ace seems like a direct connection to Fire Marshal Bill. Um, so <laughs> Get off my notes, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but as I was doing research, I'd forgotten some of the little parts he was in, like in Peggy Sue Got Married and Once Bitten. You know, I'd forgotten about Jim Carrey in those movies. So, you know, 18-year-old me thought this movie was hilarious, obviously. Um, I will sadly say that a number of these quotes got into my lexicon there for a while. Um, Alrighty now, you know, kind of deal. Now, on the other hand, 45-year-old Sammy was not as enthused. So, grade C-. minus. <laughs> You really are looking at my notes. <laughs> you stole my living color reference, my fire marshal bill reference, and my grade. I also gave it a C minus. Um, the the humor doesn't work for me anymore. And I was 14 years old when this movie came out. Once again, I was the target audience. Um, 
but I'm not 14 anymore. Um, I'm no longer obsessed with in the nineties for people my age uh, in living color was what Saturday night live had been in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, it had, it had completely replaced it for me, for me and my friends. We all watched living color. I don't, I, I don't know a soul that was really watching Saturday night live. Um, the way it had been, um, this movie has not aged well. Um, and that might be the biggest understatement I've ever made on this show. Uh, <laughs> Jim Carrey's too much. Fire Marshal Bill was great in five minute chunks. 90 minutes of Fire Marshal Bill is too much. Um, yeah, it's a C minus. And this was kind of, it was kind of painful because I, I really liked this movie when I was 14. It's pretty painful to rewatch it as an adult. Hey, Jamie, let me tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, this is probably going to be one of the lowest graded movies that we've uh, visited and Hawk yeah the Slayer's coming this is um <laughs> this is uh you know of an era this movie uh, it was definitely that mid-90s casting about not quite knowing what to do with itself you had Jim Carrey being insane, you know, after like you guys just made reference to, you know, he was coming straight off of In Living Color and had a few small parts. But yeah, this year he was the biggest thing in comedy. He was huge, but the humor didn't age well. I mean, this movie is, it's, it's homophobic. It's, you know, so lost of plot. The actors are sometimes wooden. Jim Carrey's the only person on screen kind of really doing anything. It's it's rude, lewd, and crude. You know, it's it's that trifecta there. Um, I'm going at a D on this thing. I'm not even going with a C. Yet. You know, it's not an F. I did chuckle a few times. There, there was a, a few little things there, but yeah, it's it's D. Don't don't watch this bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, based on those grades, I think um, I think our next section is going to be hard to come by. Um, let's go see if we can find any fans for this thing. Yeah, just like uh, all the animals in his apartment, I really hope he had a fan in the window. Graphically novel. Three brothers tackle a different graphic novel each week. Listen as the brothers Fugit discuss classic and not so classic graphic novels. Subscribe now on your podcast feed of choice. Graphically novel: three brothers who like each other but love comics. Alrighty, Jamie, you're uh, you're uh, leading us off on this <coughs> fan section. Well, there was one thing I did appreciate more as an adult that I didn't as a kid. I was too young to understand that this thing is, is really has like the, the skeleton of a 1950s noir style detective story. And it's pretty well done. I mean, you replace the dialogue, um, put somebody in it with a normal human face in the role. <laughs> and I mean, and it's, it's basically, a, you know, give him a fedora instead of whatever's wrong with his hair. And, you know, Courtney Cox is the dame that wanders into his office on a stormy night or whatever. Um, you know, the, the football players replaced them with mafia guys were beating him up in alleys. I mean, a lot, a lot of this stuff, the way he's chasing up, chasing down clues and stuff, it's, 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 it's an insufferable version of an of 1950s detective noir. <laughs> but the skeleton's there. I did, I did appreciate it. This is a pretty good version of the, of, 
of telling it that kind of style of detective story. It just I don't like the way they dressed it up. I didn't appreciate it anymore. Um, but I, I, I did. I did. It was kind of fun to notice the skeleton there underneath all the crazy. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad you had uh, were able to identify that. I was not. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what was going on aside from just Jim Carrey being insane on screen, which brings me to my fan. You know, Jim Carrey's career, he's kind of morphed into almost this character um, of, of even himself. And he's kind of got really serious, really philosophical about a lot of things. But I had forgotten how insanely physical he was with his face and his, his actions and things in the, I mean, it was, you know, just a highlight to see, you know, the mask, if I remember, hopefully was good. Dumb and Dumber was hilarious. Uh, you sound doubtful now. Yeah. I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of uh, up in the air, you know, and I remember not being particularly blown away by this movie at the, at the time. But, uh, you know, the mask, you know, floored me. Dumb and Dumber, you know, took the country by storm. Really established him of this, you know, king of physical comedy. You know, with these facial expressions, these expressions. Well, all righty then, you know. Uh, and uh, all of that craziness. Is that an X-Wing coming by? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but anyway, uh, it's been a while since we've been visited by the car wash, gentlemen. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, it, I, I just, uh, rem, you know, was glad to be reminded on what a, you know, phenomenal physical comedian he was. All right. You know, this was a, a tough movie for a lot of reasons. Okay. Yes. the And I agree with Dwayne, you know, lewd humor, crude humor. Uh, there's a lot of things now that definitely would not show up in, in movies today. Okay. in in terms of characterizations, things along those lines, the one thing I did like it, despite how over the top everything is, you know, I like witty, snarky banter. And some of the early exchanges between Ace and Lieutenant Einhorn were pretty funny. They they did crack me up, and a couple of those will come up later as we get to some awards. Um, but but I just thought that there was a little bit of humor there to the snarkiness, and I like that quick wit, not the over the top stuff, the the slapstick comedy. Um, you know, like Dwayne said, his face. I mean, it just you know, it's what I think what. Rubber Face maybe was one of the early movies that he did. So, mm-hmm. so it, it, it still matches there. Um, but yeah, I know this is fans, so I'm trying my best to keep <laughs> I, I will throw this in, though. I did get cracked up when Einhorn puts the, the cell phone up or the big phone to her head, and he goes, be careful, you might get a to- have a tumor. <laughs> you know? <laughs> because that was such a big thing at that time with, with all the, the mobile phones and stuff. This... You know, you're going to get brain tumors and all those types of things. I am surprised they didn't do a kindergarten cop reference there, though. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of uh, uh, pop culture references 
Yeah. And that was that was pretty neat. I I didn't I mean I didn't enjoy it as much now as in the past, but I, I do admire how how much Jim Carrey just goes for it. Oh, he devoted entirely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was all in. Well, and that makes you think of him in roles like a uh, you know Man on the Moon, where he you know really dived you know, dove into Andy Kaufman and kind of morphed his whole, his whole being into that. Um, and, you know, just made that movie so weird. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't think anybody else could have done that the way he did with that devotion. Speaking of devotion, um, <laughs> you want to give out some pans? I got nothing. Uh, <laughs> 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 this movie is, does not le- le- lend itself well to segways. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I'm off uh, first off on the pants. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, there's, there's, you know, there's quite a few, like I talked about before, just, just the tone of the movie is so different from what you're used to today. Even, you know, in your PG-13 and R-rated comedies, it's this is so much more crude and uh, just almost just mean. And uh, that's my pen. It's, it's, Ace is an a-hole. It's just it's <laughs> a-hole comedy. You know, he's just a jerk to everybody. And, uh, you know, women throwing themselves at him. You know, through this movie, it's such an inaccurate depiction of, and I know it's a fictional movie and, you know, he's, he's, you know, rescuing pets and things, but yeah, it's just such an awful human being (laughs) to be the hero. (laughs) Okay. So, um, you know. Once again, in terms of pants, you know, when I think of this movie, this is, you know, Dwayne said it, this is a movie of an era. Um, And right around this time, you get a lot of sketch comedy trying to move to the big screen. And Ace Ventura definitely works better as sketch comedy. Um, Everything starts to feel redundant. Um, insert funny face here, do weird body movement again and again and again. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that's what really pulls me out is he's going for it, you know, and that I respect him for that. But, man, it just starts to get redundant and just it, it's co- it's constant and, and you get pulled out of the story, which, you know, can, you know, has some moments, but you get pulled out of the story by just his over the top nature. Uh, the fact that this movie got a sequel and three seasons of a cartoon series completely boggles my mind. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess you really hit something on the head, Sam, that I, I didn't think about uh, while I was watching. You know, Jamie had mentioned it being, you know, having the bones of this noir detective movie. Mm-hmm. And you just lose that with all of the repetitive. Hey, look at my weird face I'm making. Hey, here I'm making this snarky comment again. You know, you lose the story in those sections. Right. Alright, um... I, I didn't go with the obvious pan because I was going last, so I assumed somebody else would make it. Um, 
So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just say one and then give you my real one. Um, this movie is every kind of phobic you can think of that was bad in the nineties. <laughs> I mean, there's so many ways that I mean I, I would have trouble recommending this to anybody now. Um, I, I just I think there's it's there's a lot of worldview problems with this movie um, that I think would bother a lot of people and would just be incredibly um, either offensive or just distasteful um, to a lot of folks. And so I, I think there's a lot of problems in that regard. But my but, but the pain I was going to go with because I assumed I wasn't I was gonna you know not be first out of the gate to all the phobia phobic stuff in this movie. Um, insert whichever one that bothers you the most. It's probably in this movie. Um, who's this movie for? I mean that that's really as I as I would watch this movie as I would see Jim Carrey's performance. I think okay, this this would be a, this would be great for little kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, kids would love would think the stuff he's doing with his face, the 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 physical nature of the performance. This would be great for kids, and it's like a pet movie, right? He's, he's detecting you know pet stuff, except all the things that like, come out of his mouth <laughs> are not kid friendly. <laughs> so many of the things, like all of the all the scenes of a sexual nature, these are not kid appropriate. I'm like, so I'm like, who's this for? Like, I, I was 14 at the time, so I guess I was it. I mean. <laughs> 13 to 15 year olds are who this movie worked for, you know, but I mean, there's just so much inappropriate content for kids in a movie that the performances would be perfect for kids. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I mean, I I, I don't know in in 1994, how many like 30 year olds were loving this movie. Right. Uh, And you couldn't show it to eight year olds. Um, Well, you shouldn't. Um, (laughs) So I mean, like, who's this for? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just scene after scene. I was like, just, just dumbfounded by like, the tone of this movie and the the appropriateness level of, of just like, what were you doing? How did that, how did this movie make money? I don't get it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The uh, the target audience is probably an unsupervised thirteen year old to an immature seventeen year old. Uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, you know, yeah, I, I even thought about that. I was like, oh, pet detective. I remember this. Uh, I wonder if the, the kids would like it. So he's does crazy things with his face. He, uh, you know, rescues pets. How much more wholesome can you be there? So I said, well, I know it's a 90s comedy. So I'm going to look on IMDb at the parental guide. Thank goodness I did. Because especially, I mean, from the start of the movie, you know, he gets his <clears throat> reward uh, for rescuing the lady's dog. <laughs> and I mean, it's downhill from there. Yeah, and like I said, the fact that they spin this into three seasons of a Saturday morning cartoon series, and then you're going to have kids going, "Oh, I want to watch this movie," and and you know, and it's I guess it's very different. You know, the three of us talk about growing up and watching movies that probably we shouldn't have watched at that at that time period. You know, and I guess this is just maybe another example that if a kid watched it today, it's one of those that they probably shouldn't have watched. So. Most definitely. Guys, I know Ace was all about his uh, rewards. Is there any awards for this thing? Oh, yeah. Any, We've got any, awards. <laughs> I mean, do you have a best performance? Are there any? 
I do. Okay. And there's a reason behind it. So, so bear with me. I'm going to give best performance to Courtney Cox as Melissa Robinson. And I know both of you guys are looking at me really funny right now, (laughs) but I just want you to imagine this. She has to play this very down to earth character, this business like person. Yeah. I know the acting's a little wooden, but to play opposite of Jim Carrey, why he's doing all of this over the top crazy stuff. I don't know how she got even through the movie in general. She probably <laughs> had to perform that way to keep a straight face, you know, throughout the whole thing. Sometimes I wonder if there's a few scenes where you see her laughing at him. You got to wonder if that's actually genuine. It's not, it's not acting, you know, but so, yeah, but I gave it to her for that reason. I mean, having to play opposite Jim Carrey when he's going completely to like level 15, you know, surely she, she's had to really keep, keep it straight here. So <laughs> I thought she was one of three people who looked like they didn't want to be on set. <laughs> <laughs> there was only three. Uh, well, I was, I'm fairly certain Sean Young was desperate for money or she would have been in this movie. I, I didn't think she wanted to be on set for a second. And Tone Loke, I mean, look, he just looked incredibly uncomfortable the entire, every scene he was in. Of course, he was in some pretty uncomfortable scenes. I was going to say, he was in some pretty uncomfortable scenes there. <laughs> well, well, that was just your gratuitous you? 90s cameo appearance. So. Well, uh, my best performance, I'm going with Snowflake. Um, seemed like a believable dolphin. Um, it's a good performance. Um, seemed to really be enjoying the scenes he was in. Uh, so, yeah. My best performance is Snowflake. Definitely had some skills, you know. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, look, I mean, you can see the smile on his face. Like he was having a good time. No, um, yeah. Believable ball, dolphin. Ball. Yeah. <laughs> Learned his trick. <laughs> well, I'm on to. Uh, I'm, I actually kept this one kind of straight laced. Uh, there. Best performance, not necessarily my favorite performance, but if you're going. Uh, best performance. I mean, it's got to be Jim Carrey because he is acting his pants off. You know, he's just over the top. He's loud. He's, you know, just diving into the character. He's just giving that crazy Ace Ventura Jim Carrey performance. You know, uh, just this level of insanity that's that you know made him famous um, in 1994, apparently. With the with those three movies, <laughs> but yeah. So best performance was was uh, to me was uh, Jim Carrey. I mean, he really you know chewed up the scenery. I don't know if that was by design with the, you know the rest of the cast or just his you know devotion and skill level. So um, I, I'm going to lay down money on what Sammy's next best uh, next award is for best scene. But Jamie. Why don't you lead us off with this? Jamie's going to steal mine. I, probably not. Um, I think the opening scene with the box works. Um, because the whole, the whole, he needs that thing to be broken, right? And he's not quite to the levels of insanity for the rest of the scenes he's in. So he's just, you know, he's having fun breaking that box. He's doing it in a goofy manner. Um, and it's not too much yet the level of goofiness still works there yeah. um a lot of the scenes where he's really going for it and leaving the teeth mark his teeth marks on the scenery 
are just too much and they just annoy me. He he's appropriately goofy in that scene and it works. I'm, I'm chuckling as he's you know, you know, lining up to kick the box down the hall and he's just letting it get stuck in the elevator. I'm chuckling at those things. It's it's not too much yet. So the the opening scene is probably the last scene I really enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one was a bit of fun. That one was a bit of fun. And like you said, it just kept going, you know, to 12. Just kept getting ramped up. I'm going to go next because I want to hold a little bit of suspension for what I think is going to be Sammy's. Uh, but uh, I was thrilled. In this movie, coming out of nowhere, we have a scene at a concert. A thrash band concert. And it and and I had really forgotten like like how cool some of these were, but you, know, you see the stage diving, you see this this band, and you know and the band was a legit actual band, Cannibal Corpse, uh, that, that was the band, and and they were a good band, and they didn't get the credit they deserved, but they finally made it into a movie. Unfortunately, it was this movie. <laughs> All right, so let, let's see if uh, Dwayne's got this right. Best scene, Ace's Star Trek monologue. <laughs> yep, in the dolphin tank. <laughs> As he's inspecting Snowflake's tank. I mean, we know Jim Carrey is is good at impressions, and right there he, he does William Shatner, DeForest Kelly, and James Doohan. Uh, all in one scene. Uh, you know, it doesn't hurt as a Trek fan to see that, but it also kind of worked. It was humorous. I got a kick out of it. You know, um, the Scotty, I'm giving it all she's got. You know, I'd say that very often. So, yeah, <laughs> in, in a faux Scottish accent, at least. But, um, but yeah, that, that, that would be mine. Uh, and that was fairly still early in the movie. So, after that, things just the wheels fell off, and you know, somebody yeah, warned you down up. yet. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. That, but that's where you see those detective bones. I mean, that's like you know, mm-hmm. the detective first shows up to the crime scene that the, the cops couldn't figure out, and he goes over and finds things. The cop, I mean, it's just it's a it's a thing you see in all those. It's just it's a bizarre person doing yeah. a Shatner impression over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that kind of really threw me out of that scene, you know. But but it was I was and I was thinking I'm like, oh yeah. Sam's gonna love this. <laughs> and then he flips the sunglasses like like it's uh, like like it's the, the communicator. Communicator, yeah. <laughs> well, in a movie full of characters, I'm uh, up with best character, and really the best character in here, a guy just trying to do his job and get by it seems like but he is keeps winding up in these weird and awkward situations is emilio tone loke <laughs> he's just sitting at his desk and then ace's butt's talking to him <laughs> and then his boss comes in and busts it you know <laughs> and then he gets kidnapped by courtney cox you know held at gunpoint <laughs> But yeah, I, I really liked Emilio and Tone Loke. He just seemed so flabbergasted in this movie. Just like, really? You're coming in here pulling this again? This is the third time this week. The boss is going to come down and we're going to get, you know. <laughs> but he just seemed so flabbergasted at, at his wits end. But I, I really enjoyed Tone Loke. 
Did I did I share the wrong file this week? Because you guys are stealing all of my stuff. <laughs> my, my best character is also Emilio. And, uh, same reasons. I love how patient he is with Ace, but at the same time, you can t- you can just tell he's just exasperated by the guy, and he's just trying to keep his head down and do his job. Uh, I got a kick out of it. And and Tone Loke was a thing in the nineties. It was kind of cool to see him there. Be reminded that Tone Loke was a thing. Well, is it the No Sleep Till Brooklyn music? And then he just completely starts rapping something different over it. Yeah. <laughs> I was so excited. I'm like, oh, Tone's going to do a, a cover of No Sleep Till Brooklyn, even though this takes place in Florida. Yeah. It's yeah, what it sounds like. And I was like, oh, no, this ain't it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, man, this was almost, almost like something to look forward to at the end. <laughs> but Sammy, what you say? All right. I went a little different way. I liked Woodstock. This he was weird almost tech guy. <laughs> he was played <laughs> this part nerdy, part hippie. The actor's name is Rain or Shine. <laughs> that just struck me, and I loved it. So, um, you know, the double glasses, it was just perfect comedic effect for to, to kind of build that personality. Um, and once again, he was just this weird esoteric character stuck in the middle of Jim Carrey's world. Uh, so, you know, kind of messing with, with like Russian fishermen and stuff. So, I mean, I dug it. So. <laughs> <laughs> with special effects that were already dated in like the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, our next award is best quote. And, uh, there are lots of famous options. I'm not sure they're the best options, but Sammy, what did you go with? All right. So in my fan, I alluded to some of the exchanges between um, Sean Young and Jim Carrey, right? My favorite one, I think, though, had to be my best quote. When Reinhard asks Ace if he wants her to make his life miserable in other vernacular Ace responds, well, Lois, I'm not really ready for a relationship yet, but thank you for asking. <laughs> it was the best of the comebacks. Yes, that, that, that was probably my, the one that stuck out. That's the one that got the biggest laugh out of me. Um, so I liked that. Yeah, that's my quote. <laughs> well, mine is from my second favorite scene. I really enjoy the scene where you know Ace is doing his detective stuff and he goes to the Finkel household. Um, I love everything the mom says, but I have a favorite. Um, it was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. If he had held the ball, laces out like he was supposed to, Ray would have never missed that kick. Dan Marino should die of gonorrhea and rotten hell. Do you like a cookie, son? <laughs> <laughs> In her sweet grandma voice. I just love it. I, I'm not going to lie. But uh, my favorite quote has to do with a person mentioned in yours, Dan Marino. I like this for a couple of reasons. It sums up most of the movie and it's really close to the end of the movie. So, you know, it's going to be over soon, (laughs) but Dan Marino and Ace is riding in the car down the road. And he says, Hey, you're a weird guy. Ace." (laughs) (laughs) just sums it up right there. (laughs) Yeah. I thought about that one too. Um. (laughs) Not a very good line delivery. It's a good line. Yeah. Well, Marino uh, was in it was had made uh, quite a few cameos there through the '90s and early 2000s. 
But you'll notice he never did more than cameos. Uh, bingo. <laughs> <laughs> It's called knowing your strengths and playing to them. <laughs> or, or casting directors understanding your strengths. Um, all right, so next award is Best Use of the Detective Genre. And um, I really got a kick out of, and it kind of like, you, you switch things up and it's recognizable. When he's doing sort of, the, there's the montage of him investigating the rings. And you can kind of feel that, like, you, like a detective montage where he's going from scene to scene looking for like, you know, where the, the, whatever the, the MacGuffin is for this story, looking for that thing. And it felt familiar. Like, I've, I've seen that or read that in so many uh, detective novels or movies, and I felt like it worked pretty well. Um, it's still goofy because it's it's a Jim Carrey movie from 1994. <laughs> um, but I, I do feel like it, as far as the detective story trope and element, it was pretty effective. They did, they did it well. So, investigating the rings is all I got. Well, I... I have to agree. You know, I like the idea of following the clues, you know, because that that was the detective side of this. Uh, and and I agree. I mean, you could you could change up the characters a bit and you could get a, a, a Norish type of, you know, Humphrey Bogart, you know, Lauren Bacall type of thing. I mean, you definitely could, um, you know, but when he's following those clues and I especially love the deductive reasoning in the apartment when they're trying to figure out why Roger Podactor died. Is it a suicide? Is it a murder? And he talks about the glass. Now, obviously the operatic notes, a little Jim Carrey, but, um, but just the idea of, of him being able to look at it that way. Oh, but no, she couldn't have heard it from the outside because of the glass, you know, it's double paned and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I thought that was kind of cool, you know, in a, in a story that that's pretty wafer thin, the detective stuff is pretty fun with it, and that's such a trope. I mean, the the you know the private detective coming in and like finding things in the crime scene the cop missed. I mean, that's yeah. in every one of those stories. Yep. Yeah. Well, since uh, Sam took mine, I'm gonna have to go with the backup uh, because <laughs> mine was the uh, was the balcony. You know, when he was noticing the things that the cops had missed. <clears throat> but uh, Jamie kind of touched on a little bit of mine, but I'm gonna go a little bit more specific with the rings. You know, and where he's he he found the stone and he's trying to see who's got the missing stone. And he's going through all of the different uh, players, and there's one he just can't seem to t- to get. And when you know he tackles him. Holds the formaldehyde over his face. And looks <laughs> I mean, I love it when detectives do that. <laughs> well, you know, the, the whole chloroform thing is a big part of the old yeah. detective chloroform, genre. That's the word I was looking you know, for, the chloroform. That, that's, that's an old part of the detective genre. You know? <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was hilarious. That was one of those things I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> they actually went there. <laughs> Maybe he just slipped him a Mickey. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, I'm up next with a very, very difficult award. Um, and uh, Jamie, thank you for the well wishes when you uh, placed this on the list. Uh, best thing that actually aged well, parenthesis, good luck on this one, guys, in parenthesis. <laughs> um, so... Um, I'll tell you one thing that did not age well was the uh, was the type of comedy <laughs> that, that that this is feeding upon. But a, a thing I found, and it's close to the end of the movie too. But do you guys remember the mascot fights when they were kind of a thing? 
when the mascots would fight like in the in the mid late nineties, it was like every mascot from every team like had to get in a fight at least a couple times a season. So uh, I was just like, I remember when that was a thing. So I loved the mascot fighting. We need more mascot fighting. <laughs> well, I, I I think that the stunt driving worked pretty well because um, it's, it's it's in a great big giant boat of a car. And like the the crazy you know, like slide parking and all that kind of stuff, the lack of glove thing that I will still occasionally break out when I'm proud of myself <laughs> for doing a good parking job. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I felt like that. Act, I mean, for a movie that clearly didn't have a huge budget, um, probably did some guerrilla filming. Um, <laughs> just guessing. The the stunt driving, like, there's a couple of things like we're on the freeway and he's swerving at the the football player to get him to flip him off so we can see how many stones <laughs> are on that ring. I mean, the, the stunt driving is pretty good, you know. It's, I mean. And I'm a sucker for a good, you know, some good stunt driving. So I, I feel like that held up pretty well. All right. Okay, see. Not much else, though. Good luck, Sammy. Well, you know, I think what, what held up the best for me, what aged well, was all of the animals were still cute. You know, all the animals were still adorable. The parakeet and the dog and the raccoon, they were all still adorable. And that's probably what aged the best for me. <laughs> Yeah, it's just too bad those poor <laughs> cute little animals were traumatized during the Lion Sleeps Tonight uh, yeah. <laughs> section of the movie. <laughs> Not going to continue on with that uh, train that of thought. But uh, now one thing that I would like to continue with is a, a, a thing that always ages so beautifully and gracefully. He is not a pet detective, but much like the dog whisperer, I think he's the nerd whisperer. Jamie, how does this movie connect with Keanu Reeves? Uh, this was easy because I remembered I remembered a connection right off the bat. Like once I saw this guy in the movie, I, I knew I was done. So, um, so sometimes it's fascinating to look through the filmography of foreign actors, um, yes. especially the ones who continue to do foreign language films. Um, I don't even know how to describe this man's career, so I'm not going to try. I'm just going to encourage you to go look at the IMDb page of Udo Kier. It's bizarre. Yeah. It's absolutely bizarre. Um, I don't even know what the genre is for some of those. I don't. I think some of those are adult movies in like they're adult movies. You know, I, I don't understand how he's in some of these. I, he's, and apparently he's in so many like 15 minutes. I think they're student films. I think this guy just goes through like the film schools of Europe and <laughs> just works on kids projects. It's wild. Um, but Udo Kier played, uh, I don't think I ever caught the guy's name. The guy at the party with the accent. Um, but in 1995, he played Ralphie in Johnny Mnemonic with our beloved Keanu. Udo Kier is our Keanu connection. <gasps> I am so glad it was Udo. I, I'm so I just glad. checked it. Ron Camp <laughs> was the character. Okay. I, I just I, looked I, real quick. So, uh, Johnny Mnemonic, that's one we should do sometime. That would be an interesting one to take a look back at. I, I know none of the computer stuff will hold up, but I remember really liking that movie. I didn't see that movie. That's that's another hole in my uh, movie watching. So. There were a lot of people who didn't see that movie. <laughs> yeah, a lot. I think me and Sam are two of them. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was our review of Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, uh, a movie that I think a lot of people should watch is our next um, review. Uh, For our Thanksgiving holiday, we're going to be visiting a John Hughes flick. John Candy, Steve Martin, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Okay, now this movie is not streaming on Netflix. It's uh, not a prime free watch. It's not on Hulu. It's not on Peacock. I did some digging for this thing, guys. It's not on Roku TV. It's not on Tubi. It's not on... (laughs) It's not on just about anything that I could find it on, uh, but you can rent it for $2.99 or purchase it for $7.99. That's the SD price, and I don't know why you would need to watch a 80s comedy in HD, but uh, the SD price on Prime and Voodoo uh, for planes, trains, and automobiles. So uh, we're going to break that classic out for the Thanksgiving holiday. So as we watch this movie... Jamie, what are we going to do? We're going to wonder why John Hughes made a movie without Molly Ringwald, as we keep it nerdy. (laughs) 